Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. Need any more signs that we're in the end times? This pastor thinks the blue moon this Halloween is one of them. Blue moons are not normally a good sign. So let's keep that in mind three days before an election. I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer here, but I'm just saying it is something to take a look at. Plus, you'll visit a history professor's eye-opening Halloween display about Black Lives Matter and COVID-19 and hear what passers-by think of it. Finally, candy corn. Get a history lesson from the CEO of Jelly Belly. Hear one woman's recipe for candy corn-coated buffalo wings, and what happened when a food reviewer tried turkey dinner-flavored candy corn? I had never consecutively gagged that much in my life. Um, I'm Kyone Wolf. The politics, the prophecy, and the provocative food choices of Halloween 2020. That's next on Audacious, after the news. From Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford, this is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf, and today we process the politics, the prophecy, and the polarization of Halloween in 2020. You'll hear from a pastor in Indiana who feels strongly that the blue moon that'll be in the sky this Halloween is a sign of end times. And we'll confront the ever-contentious candy corn, how it's made, why somebody would eat turkey-flavored candy corn, and what happens when you combine candy corn and buffalo wings. But first, come with me to a sidewalk in West Hartford, Connecticut. Every Halloween, Matt Warshower, a professor of history at Central Connecticut State University, has been constructing displays in front of his house that have quite literally stopped traffic. It started off 19 years ago with cool, funny Halloween-type stuff, you know, graveyards, ghosts and ghouls, although I'm Still not sure what the difference is between a ghost and a ghoul. But in the weeks after 9-11, when the United States was declaring a war that Matt felt was unjust, he changed the way he did his Halloween displays. That year, he put up effigies of President Bush and Vice President Cheney wearing pants that looked like they were covered in flames. And in front of them, the sign read, Liar, Liar, Pants on Fire. And ever since... Matt's Halloween displays have been reflections of the pain and distress most prevalent in our country. This year, Black Lives Matter and COVID-19 are his focus. Picture two giant walls. They're so big, they almost totally obscure his house. One is what he refers to as the timeline of Black Lives Matter, featuring real ads from old Connecticut newspapers seeking the return of enslaved people who'd escaped their conditions. You see quotes from Frederick Douglass, W.E.B. Du Bois, and Martin Luther King Jr. And finally, you see framed pictures of black people who were killed by police. Then on the COVID-19 wall, you see framed photos of some of the more than 227,000 people who were killed by the coronavirus in the United States. Underneath them, it says, negligent homicide. Then you see statistics about this pandemic and the one from 1918. And on one large panel, Matt has written this. At a time of unrelenting deceit, determined hate, stoked division and the denial of science, defending fact, reason, truth and humanity is an essential act. I asked him about what these panels, Black Lives Matter and COVID-19, have in common. 
I think what ties these two displays distinctly together is that they both have their origins in lots and lots of lying. Lots and lots of lying. The idea that black lives don't matter, that there isn't systemic racism in this country. So the display, what, what pulls it all together is the concept of lies. What kind of reactions are you getting overall from people on the sidewalk or passing by in their cars? Really overwhelmingly positive. I've had just fantastic conversations with people out here. People drive by and honk their horns and waves and, 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 and say thank you. I had a woman uh, the other night who, she must have been in her mid-70s, an African-American woman. Actually, she was Jamaican-American. And her, she said, you know, she goes, I had my grandson drive me over. I'm from Hartford and my whole community is talking about this. Thank you so much. And that, you know, that's just, what are we but connections amidst one another? Connections were abundant in my time on that sidewalk. In front of the COVID wall, I met Tim Taylor and Louis Gonzalez of West Hartford. Tim told me about what the display meant to him. You know, every day it's a little bit easier to remind myself that I'm living through history in the moment, but something like this really kind of pulls you away from your daily routine of, you know, just going about your day and pulls you back into reality and and how important it is to do something to shape not only your own reality, but what's just happening around you. So this is just that kind of smack in the face that tells you to, you know, don't close your eyes, don't stop, keep going. You know, you've got to vote, you've got to stand up, you've got to make sure your voice is heard. There's a way to change what's happening. It's your responsibility to make the effort to at least to try to change things in the way that they need to be changed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For someone that's been able to work throughout the pandemic, um, thankfully, and still have job security and still seeing folks in the general public that refuse to wear masks, seeing this particular one here, um, it gets me upset when I see folks that just don't seem to care, negligently walking out without a mask when told to wear a mask, uh, feel like rights are being taken away. But here's a clear definition of those who are no longer with us. So when you're at home in the confines of home, of safety and comfort, coming here today really shifts that gear. I think it's important to get out there and raise your concerns and voice them. What would you say to someone who would say, this is not appropriate, this is Halloween, you shouldn't be doing this political stuff? How would you respond to that? <laughs> I understand that we want to escape from reality and find comfort in things, especially things that are traditional that that bring us joy and um you know life is about sacrifices big and small and i think this year is a year of many many sacrifices but there are many halloweens <laughs> there are many holidays you know we, we we've got to put things into perspective and and figure out how we can get to those halloweens and enjoy them but right now we've we've got bigger things to worry about than not being able to trick-or-treat in front of the Black Lives Matter wall, I spoke with Jamie McDonald and his wife, Rachel Tanucci, also West Hartford residents. I asked Jamie, who is a black man in a town that's 80% white, what it felt like seeing this. Exhausting. <laughs> I'm absolutely exhausted by it. You know, we, we live in a town that is 
supposedly different and supposedly aware and we have this person who has put this out in their front yard but this stuff is still happening you know it's like it's one thing to be aware of it um it's one thing to address it but where does the change come from besides just putting up something on your front yard it's great but what do we do to go beyond this what would you say to someone who thinks this is inappropriate it's Halloween. It should be about Halloween and mm -hmm. jack-o'-lanterns and scarecrows. Politics shouldn't be here. Mm -hmm. What would you say to them? I would say to them, open your eyes. Because it's very easy to live in an ignorance is bliss kind of town, but people deal with this reality every single day. They don't get to celebrate Halloween. You know, Freddie Gray doesn't get to celebrate Halloween. This is a tradition that does not include him or Tamir Rice. They don't get to celebrate it. These people have lost their lives. And it's, it's unbelievably ignorant and completely insensitive to fall back into tradition, fall back into, oh, well, it's Halloween. It's our tradition. No, we're, we're, at, we're at the point now where we have to stop having those conversations and we need to start talking about injustice on a, on a daily basis to rectify everything that's happened. Well, I think by doing it on Halloween, the commentary would be like, this is what really scares us. This is mm -hmm. what should be frightening you. Mm -hmm. Yes. Matt lives on a busy street in West Hartford. And as we were talking, a car pulled up containing three Hartford residents, Ebony Mitchell, and her kids, Elijah and Lauren. I asked Ebony what she thought of it. I think it's beautiful. That's why I had to turn around and come back and ah, look at it. Tell me why you turned around to come see it again. It's just like very inspiring because of where it's at. And it's like, you mean, with all the things that's going on now, it's like, it's really touching. And I, I love that. And I love whoever done it. I respect them. I don't know who, who was the creator. Oh, are you the creator of it? This is beautiful, and I thank you for that. I really do thank you for that. Something like this is very, like, it's touching. It's really touching for me, a black female, as a mother, a single mother, it's very touching, seriously. I don't want to get emotional about it, but it's, it's really nice. And I respect you, and I thank you so much for that. Thank you so much. If, if we would all focus on what you just said, we would have a better world, wouldn't we? What is this like for you to see? When I seen it, I was like, whoever made this, they have a heart. And I just like, I love this. Like, they took the time to make this. It's beautiful. This should be in like a museum or something because it's yeah. so, it's beautiful. And what do you think? We should start caring about those people who are actually going through what we don't know what they're going through. And for him to put that out there and actually show what we, we as a black community are going through, it just makes a more aspect of better life. I'm going to tell more people, you know, from Hartford to come out and look at this. You know what I mean? Because... We're so together, but we're so divided. And this is nice to know that people actually care about people, period, you know? And I hope you keep it up, at least to the beginning of the year. Maybe people might, you know, notice it and come along and get that connection like you're looking for. There's a final section on the far right side of the entire installment. And at the top, it says, what's your truth? Attached to it is a cup full of markers and hand sanitizer. Good call, Matt. And I asked Matt to read some of the things written on it. Uh, let's see. Women's rights are human rights. Be in love with justice, not with money. If voting doesn't matter, why would they be working so hard to take it away? Um, different doesn't mean wrong. 
Love wins. Education is essential. Mindfulness teaches us to respond, not react. We have a loving cosmic God. Uh, I mean, people write all kinds of stuff up here. And yeah, I learn from it every time I come and look. But uh, my favorite quote on there says, do not be daunted by the enormity of the world's grief. You are not obligated to complete the work, but neither are you free to abandon it. And that's it. That's everything. Because we, we cannot fix everything, but we can do our own little part. And, you know, I tell my students all the time that if you want to make a difference, you've got to figure out how you go about making that difference. Nobody can tell you. And you, you do your own little piece and, and, and try and do something that contributes, you know? That was Matt Warshower. He's an author and a professor of history at Central Connecticut State University. You can see more of Matt's work. And you can see photos of this and past Halloween displays of his at themindfulprofessor.org. After the break, what sign in the sky this Halloween has this pastor saying? Rest assured that we are marching toward the end of this world as we know it. I'm Kyone Wolf. This is Audacious. Stay with me. This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. Pastor Paul Begley thinks the blue moon in the sky this Halloween is a sign that the end times are upon us. But it's not that simple. He's pastored for the last 32 years at the Community Gospel Baptist Church in Knox, Indiana. And in that time, he's authored six books about the end of days. He's got 340,000 subscribers on his YouTube page where he broadcasts prolifically about current events and what he believes are the signs of end times. I wanted to know what exactly he means when he says the end times are upon us. What does that look like? How fast does it happen? And what does it mean to him? And what does a full moon on Halloween have to do with anything? You know, I look at it over the scope of time, that especially in the last decade, I'm going to say when the birds started falling out of the sky in 2011, there was 5,000 fell out of the sky in BB, Arkansas one night. Actually, it was New Year's Eve. You know, fish started washing up in the Chesapeake Bay, two million of them the next day. Cows started falling over dead. I started looking into scripture like, what is there about that? I found it in Hosea that in the apocalyptic times, there'd be dead birds, dead fish, dead cows or dead beasts of the field. So then I start studying other prophetic events. And uh, when I look at um, what's been happening the last 10 years, I could go on forever with wars and rumors of wars and diseases and all kinds of and people at each other's throats. Five people living in a house, two against three, three against two. All of these are in the Bible. I can say to myself, I don't know when the end of the world is, and nobody does really, but uh, you can see the signs are pointing to an apocalyptic era. We've even went through the Mayan calendar phase, okay, in 2012. So even though that wasn't the end of the world, people know that this planet can't last forever. I wish it would, but there's something going on that should make us aware we've got some problems. Talk about blue moons, because that's the thing that got my attention to talk to you in the first yeah, place. Yeah, a blue moon is when you have two full moons in a single month. Now, that happens about every two years or so, okay? So that's the, the Earth and the moon are in a cycle. But a blue moon on Halloween is rare. 
So they're about every 19 years. They sometimes are longer than that. So to have a blue moon in the year of 2020 on Halloween, three nights before the election, uh, you know, you always hear the old saying, that's once in a blue moon. Well, this is a little more rare than that. We're really in a prophetic period as way I look at it, that we're in, a, in a, America as well as the world has come to a point where it's like an omen. Now, if you study some of the, not just Bible prophecy, when it comes to the Bible says uh, in Genesis, the Lord, uh, the Lord says in the, right in the very beginning of the creation, he says, look, I made the sun and the moon and the stars for signs and seasons for days and years. So we know right now the moon and the sun and the stars were set up to give us not only our calendar system, which is so perfect, but also prophetic signs and seasons. So we're in a season right now of distress. I'm going to say the world is. I mean, for instance, let me just give you an example. This year, never in history has Mecca, the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, and the Vatican closed at the same time. Never. Okay. So it's 2020. Yes, we're in a virus, a pandemic. We have, in, we have wars and rumors of wars. We have insecurity. We have all kinds of tension. We've got all kinds of, you know, protesting and people are just really uneasy right now. And I think that this prophetic sign, and if you study some of the other guys, uh, some of the new agers and some of the other folks, they all see the blue moon as an omen. And generally, it's not good. I'm just going to be honest with you. It's not a good sign. Blood moons and blue moons are not normally a good sign. So let's keep that in mind three days before an election. I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer here, but I'm just saying it is something to take a look at. Well, is it a Debbie Downer thing? I mean, isn't aren't the end times glorious times for those who believe that it brings salvation? That's right. So that's what you're you're exactly right. So if you're, you know, for those of you who believe in, in uh, salvation through Jesus Christ, let's say, then you're not afraid of the end times. You're not walking around, you know, with your lip dragging the ground. And I'm not hiding under a rock anywhere, but I'm just saying that some folks, because of not understanding salvation or not having peace within, they are living in fear. They're living in uncertainty. They don't know what's the stock market going to do. Should I put my money in precious metals? Should I, uh, should I move to another country? Can I touch anything anymore? Uh, you know, is, should we have Thanksgiving this year? Should we cancel Christmas? No family gatherings. So people are really, and with the political upheaval, nobody knows what to do. So, you know, I don't want to let people feel it, but I do want to send out a warning that the Bible does give us prophetic signs in the last days. And we'll see these things, whatever's going on in the in the spiritual world manifests in the physical. And so we see that happening. Now, I know that, you know, it's written in the Bible that no one will know right. when the end times are. Can you describe what you imagine? You Just when you're lying in bed thinking about it, I mean, is it, does it happen in an instant? Does it happen in a month? How long, like, give me some pictures that go through your mind about what the end times look like for you? Yeah, I think the end times we're in now. Okay. But it's a very, it's a very slow, gradual process. So it's not like one day we wake up and the, you know, uh, the stars fall out of the sky and, and, and the earth blows apart, but it's a process and an event after event after event, all of which were prophesied. You can go read in Matthew 24, which is a great chapter to read about what because they asked Jesus this question. He's sitting on the Mount of Olives and, and they said, hey, can you tell us what is the sign of thy coming and the end of the world? 
And that's two different events. Jesus' return or coming is not the end of the world, but the end of the world eventually will come. Okay, so that it's a process. So they were saying, uh, when you come back, is that the end of the world? Well, he's saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. If you're asking me about the end of the world, let me give you some examples. And he says, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars and false Christ and prophets. And, and there's going to be, um, because iniquity abound, the love of many will wax cold. And there'll be all this hatred and tension. And so he'll, he really goes down a list of earthquakes and, and different apocalyptic events. But it's not one day. You just don't wake up one day and it's the end. But Jesus does come. And uh, in my opinion, he does return in one moment, in a moment when no one's really, because nobody knows, but he shows. And uh, that is going to happen miraculously, instantaneously. But the end times process, I believe, takes years. And we're in that. We've been in it, I think, for years. Okay, I'm going to say at least, I'm going to give it at least 20 years that we have already been in the end times. I'm hearing music. Okay. <laughs> um, what do you hope the end times look like? Well, my hope is this, that people begin to understand, see what's happening, and their hearts change and say, you know what? We've got to quit fighting and start working together. we gotta, we got to stop bickering and, and uh, you know, we've got to stop all the well, gridlock. We see, but here's what we can't do. Is that mine? Look at China. Yeah, that's you. Filthy it is. Oh, no. Look at Russia. <laughs> Where is that coming from? It's filthy. The the air is filthy. Okay. The Paris Accord. That I took sounds like Trump. We were gonna... <laughs> sounds a lot like that guy. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. That's an apocalyptic <laughs> situation right there. I don't know what we'll do with that. Well, I do. <laughs> since he literally came up, do you believe that Trump is a character or is a sign of end times? You know, it's a great question, and I'm so glad you asked. I would have never said yes uh, in a million years about any individual person other than Adolf Hitler, who I believe was the precursor to the Antichrist. I would have never said that any person really outside of John the Baptist and Jesus Christ and a few disciples. I think Gandhi was a, a man that actually, for his time, was prophetically used to help bring a nation together during their moment of an independence. I think that uh, Christopher Columbus was a, a prophetic guy who discovered the new world that ultimately brought about a whole change in the world. So, yeah, and I think Albert Einstein uh, was prophetically used to stop a war and to give us a look into the next dimension and whether it be the relativity, whether it be the law of gravity, different things. Donald Trump was born 700 days before Israel became a nation, which is seven. Seven is a very prophetic number. 700 days before he was born. He was born on June the 14th, 1946, during a blood moon. The odds of that are just off the charts, ridiculously rare. When he became president of the United States, he was 70 years old, seven months and seven days old. On the 70th anniversary of Israel as a nation, he moved the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem and declared Jerusalem as the city of God, the city of the great king, which was prophesied to happen in Psalms 48 by somebody. And I think about that a lot because if I don't think if Hillary won the election, I don't think she makes that move. So when I start looking at the Bible, I say, wow, this guy is crazy stuff he says and things he does. Is God using him as some type of 
marker to move the, the goalpost to the prophetic end times? How many things like this could he have happening? And so I really believe he was chosen, selected, not because he was some great righteous individual. I'm not, I don't think he's Teresa, you know, Mother Teresa at all. Uh, but at the same time, I think he is a believer in Christ. And here's something that was real important. His mother was a Presbyterian intercessory prayer warrior back in the day. She was involved in a prayer group that prayed all the time. So she was a very powerful praying woman. His dad was a rowdy businessman, breaking people's knuckles and, and making moves. Donald Trump, a lot like Moses, was trained. Moses was trained by his mother about the religious side of the Jews and Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and his father, Pharaoh of Egypt, and was training him to be the next Pharaoh. Moses is getting this double whammy teaching just like Donald Trump. His father's telling him how to be a powerful, uh, strong, pounding businessman, and his mother's teaching him, you need to love people. You need to do things that are right. You need to always ask for prayer. And so that's probably one of the reasons why Donald Trump, in all of his stuff I've seen from him, constantly has people come into the White House and pray for him. Because I think one side of him is his mother speaking, and the other side is his daddy speaking saying you can't put up with this stuff. So he wants to smack one guy and pray for another one. He's an interesting individual. So at the end of the day, I truly believe he was chosen to fulfill some very important biblical markers, and he has done those. So I'm not so sure he's going to be around for any more. Uh, I don't know if we need him for any more, but then again, there's more yet to come. So let's wait and see. Uh, I think it's very interesting. Who, if anybody, do you think should fear the end times? Wow, what a question. I'm going to say that if you don't have uh, a relationship with your maker, if you're angry, bitterness, hatred even, you don't want to go into the end times harboring those kinds of feelings. You don't want to go in. you just like you don't want to go to the end of your life. You ever notice when somebody's dying? And I've went to the bedside of many people dying over my years of ministry. And you know what they always do is they want the preacher to come and pray with them. They want people who were their enemy or someone they had a grudge with, come back and see me. They start calling for the person that they've had the biggest falling out with. They start asking them, would you come to my bedside? Why do they want to do that? Because nobody wants to go into the next, <laughs> nobody wants to go into eternity, leaving things undone that need to be fixed. And so if that's the case of a dying people, which you'll see all the time, it's a, it's a constant thing I see, then we should live each day with that same mentality. So in the end times, don't let hard feelings, don't let anger, bitter, wrath, revenge, even people you know that are just like driving you insane, let it go, okay? Love them, let it go. And if more people do that, that's how we can prepare for really some traumatic times that's coming. So yes, we got a blue moon coming on Halloween, okay? It's an omen, and it is something to watch. And I'm not saying that night the world's going to end, but I am saying it's a sign for the season we're in, and I think the election's tied to it, which affects the whole world. Uh, it's important, so let's pray. I agree. It definitely affects the world. I'd like to talk briefly about certainty. That's faith, right? right. There's a certainty that goes with faith, 
And at the same time, of course, you know, people have predicted end times as long as there, as long as there have been people. And so I wonder when you think about this promise of end times that hasn't yet culminated in the end times, yes. will you talk about your relationship to certainty as you see this, this carrot at the end of the stick that hasn't come to fruition yet? If man is normally a 70 years, we look at time in a very short span. And all my life, I've heard about, you know, the world's going to come to an end. You know, you might want to be ready. Matter of fact, there's been 244 prominent preachers who have predicted the end of the world by setting a date. And they have been wrong 244 times. Now, I've never set a date, okay, because I know not to do that. I know what the scripture says. I won't know. We don't none know. Matter of fact, the Bible says no one knows. Jesus says not even the angels sitting around the throne, not himself, but the father. And then he even says later, he says, but the Lord's going to shorten the days for the elect's sake, least there be no flesh saved. In other words, God will change his mind. God's got a day set, but he's going to change it. He's going to shorten it earlier because man is about to destroy himself and God won't let man destroy himself. So I can understand people's curiosity and maybe even doubt that, you know what, I've heard about this my whole life. My grandmother talked about it. I just don't know. I, maybe I just, maybe there's never going to be an end of the world. And, and that's, a you know, but again, we're in such a short time frame. Even in America, I think sometimes people say, well, this will never happen in America. We're one of the youngest countries in the world. We have no idea what's, what's happened in the old world. Jerusalem has been overtaken 29 times in history. We can't fathom that. We just can't figure that out. So when we say we're in the end times, what does that mean? Is that the next five years? Is that the next 50 years? You know, I couldn't answer that question. Uh, but I can say that I can understand why people would doubt and maybe wonder. So that's why I think the Bible is so important in prophecy in the Bible, because if you follow it, you see things happening that are directly laid in there that says this will happen and this will happen to this. And as you see that happening, and I can tell you over the last 20 years, there's been several major prophetic events that have taken place that my grandfather talked about that I'm seeing about. So I can't tell you when the day or the hour, but I can just say rest assured that uh, we are marching toward the end of this world as we know it but not the end of our existence. Each and every person needs to understand that. It's a, it's a relationship with God in your heart. What do you think is the difference of the fate of a person who truly believes the way you do versus the person who doesn't? Well, you know, people still have faith. It's almost like a sixth sense, okay? I think you were, every person, every human being is born with this. We want to believe. But people who have to put their faith in Jesus Christ— it has to be more than just believing in something. It's ha You have to also know it. Now, I believe uh, that one day I would see the Cubs win the World Series. They did, finally. I was really doubting it, though, Kevin. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> it's one thing to have faith in God, yeah, but yeah. the Cubs? And the Cubs, it's really tough to be, you know, so you, to be a, to have faith in the Cubs, you have to be diehard, really. <laughs> you have to somehow, some kind of unbelievable faith. But I think the average individual who maybe doesn't believe in Jesus Christ, but seeks a, a spiritual guidance. And I, I mean, I meet a lot of New Agers and a lot of different people uh, from different religions. Uh, I go to, I've been to Israel 10 times. I've met a lot of Jewish people who believe it. 
Do you think we all end up in the same place? I want to say yes, but I, I, from studying the Bible for all these years, and I'm not trying to be saying I'm right and someone else is wrong. It's just, it doesn't really pan out that way. It, it, it really doesn't say that. I want to say yes. If I could sit here and look at the camera and say, yes, don't worry. I really would love to say that, but I really can't say that. And that's why I have a, a calling in my life and a mission to help show people what's going on in the world, how it relates to the Bible, and why they may want to come to Christ and really, really find Christ in their life. So, uh, and I'm not judgmental about people who haven't at all. I just, I keep reaching out with love and compassion. I think that once people find that, and I've had a lot of people tell me that, that once they found Christ, they said, this is what I was searching for. I was searching, but I didn't know until I found that peace with him. And that's a game changer for sure. When I think about end times, I think about last words. So I wonder, what do you hope your last words will be? I hope that my last words is, I'm ready. I'm ready. And that's really what, when we say getting prepared, you know, like the, let's take the preppers. Uh, and I know a lot of folks who, you know, they've got the underground bunkers. They got a, a year and a half worth of food. People are prepping and preparing for something. Really, though, they don't know exactly what. Catastrophes, the power grid going down. Uh, wars r running through the, their their nation that they didn't anticipate, starvation and famine, uh, asteroid striking the earth. So they prepare for these uncertain times, and it's okay to do that. I, mean, I think it's prudent to at least have thirty days worth of food and water. I think anybody it's be prudent to do that. But we are not as diligent about preparing our soul for eternity. We seem to put that on the back burner. That'll work itself out. I'll get to that later. It's almost like a certain certain exams at the doctor. I'll get to that one. Okay. We have a tendency to know that's important and we probably should look more into that. But for right now, I'm okay today. And so my uh, my answer is you need to be able to say, I'm ready. And And so when I lay my head on my pillow every night, after having some prayer with God, I always say, thank you, Lord, for another wonderful day. And if you should come during the night, I'm ready. I've asked the the bulk of my questions without <laughs> running way over time. I, we could probably talk all day. Is there anything that I haven't asked that you want to make sure you say? Uh, I think you've asked most of the great questions about the end times. I think some people want to know, you know, like, should is there somewhere they should move to? I mean, I get those kinds of questions all the time. Should I go live in a different country? Do you think a tsunami is going to, you know, is California going to break off into the ocean? Uh, what do I need to do? There's no way could anyone give anybody that kind of advice because there's so many different factors. So once again, it's about the state of mind you're in. It's the relationship you have, your faith with God, knowing that no matter what, he's there for you and will guide you and direct you in the right path to go. That's how I approach everything in life. Is everything's uncertain. Be prepared to reinvent yourself at least three times in a lifetime. And I couldn't tell you what you're going to reinvent yourself as because it depends on the situation, the markets, everything that's going on. So once again, that's how you have to walk by faith with God. I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but I know as long as I'm with him, he's with me. I'm going to get through this.
Pastor Paul Begley, thank you so much for talking with me. Thank you. It was a pleasure being on here. Great to meet you. You can see more of his work at paulbegleyprophecy.com. When we get back, one more sign of the end of days, candy corn coated buffalo wings. Get you some candy corn because you want to create like the glaze or the sauce to sauce the wings. And what happened when one woman tried turkey dinner flavored candy corn? I had never consecutively gagged that much in my life. Um, I'm Kyone Wolf. This is Audacious. Be right back. This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. Love it or hate it, and so many people love it or hate it, candy corn is an undeniable symbol of Halloween. And as you'll hear, it's also an innovative ingredient in recipes, and it's been turned into, shall we say, an engrossing new product. But let's go back to the beginning. Where did candy corn come from, and how's it made? To find out, I talked with Lisa Roland Brazier. She's the CEO of Jelly Belly and a fifth-generation candy maker. I asked her to tell me about the origins of candy corn. It began with a gentleman named George Renninger from Wonderly Candy Company. And then my family, the second generation, began making candy corn in 1898. Our ancestors made candy out of shapes and things that they were familiar with at that time. So we've seen on our price list corn, we've seen turnips and chestnuts and shamrocks and all sorts of different shapes. So I think they made candy in the shapes of things that they were familiar with. And I was kind of looking at this, if you um, put candy corn in your fingers in between like this and put the little white tip down the end, it looks like... It looks like a row of corn kernels. Yeah, just a row of corn. So that was interesting when I first saw that. And I thought, oh, wow, it does look like corn. So a quick Google search tells me that candy corn is water, sugar, and corn syrup. And Jelly Bellies also has a marshmallow frappe and fondant with a butter vanilla flavoring and a dash of salt. But... If you can tell me, how does one construct a kernel of candy corn? It's a complicated product to make, and it's three different colors in one piece. So we actually have to make up three different kettles of that hot liquid candy that we make in the kitchen, and one's white, and one's yellow, and one's orange. We have cornstarch molds that we imprint a candy corn shape in, and we make those vertically. So... The white tip is at the bottom and then the orange center and then the yellow top. So for me, I would say the white tip is the bottom. Some people say that's the top. Give me some numbers. How many people are buying candy corn? Uh, we can make over a thousand kernels a second. Nine billion kernels of candy corn are shipped per year. You know, it's just not Halloween without candy corn. Well, Lisa Roland Brazier, Jelly Belly's CEO and fifth generation candy maker, thank you so much for talking to me. Thank you. Nice to meet you, Kyone. Now, as if candy corn 
wasn't contentious enough this year, Brock's Candy Company came out with turkey dinner flavored candy corn. So to save myself a trip to the store, and also because I didn't want to try it myself, I turned to intrepid reporter Victoria Messina. She's an associate editor at popsugar.com, and she wrote a piece entitled, I tried the new Brock's turkey dinner candy corn and barely lived to tell the tale. I asked her why she did this to herself. Because I hate myself. Um, no, um, I um, clearly just really needed some excitement in my life. Um, yeah, I am always like up for for anything when it comes to food. I will, you know, order the weirdest thing on the menu. So I waited until I was like, okay, I'm bored out of my mind. It's like a random Tuesday evening after work. Yeah, and just dove into it. And it was absolutely horrifying. Um, Take me back to that moment in your life when you opened this bag of turkey dinner flavored <laughs> candy corn. What did your senses report back? My senses were extremely overwhelmed. <laughs> it was really just a mix of like sweet, but then hints of like dog food, but like a very strange mix. So so one may expect that this bag of turkey dinner flavored candy corn would be um, a monoculture of candy corn, much like any other bag of candy corn. But no, in a single bag of turkey dinner candy corn, there are, as you write, six distinct flavors that correspond to different Thanksgiving dishes, roasted turkey, <laughs> cranberry sauce, ginger glazed carrot, sweet potato pie, stuffing, and green beans. So these are different candy corn pieces with different colors and designs on them. So talk me through your process. What was your method of consuming these little soldiers? So <laughs> little soldiers. So yes, I lined them up. I went into it being like, okay, I'll try each piece once. Some of the pieces were actually bearable. So I had two pieces. Like what? Um, the cranberry sauce one was fine. And then the sweet potato pie one was also palatable. Where we really started getting into questionable territory was the green beans. It really just tasted like someone put my face in a pile of grass and was just like, eat it. I went into it thinking that I knew um, what all the flavors were, but it actually got too mixed up. So the, um, the colors of each piece are like kind of similar. There's ones with like a white top and a orange bottom. The turkey one has like like yellow and brown shades. They're all just like very similar besides the green one and the cranberry sauce one. Um, so I actually mixed up the sweet potato pie and the stuffing, which was an absolute assault to the taste buds. <laughs> so yeah, but just, you know, each piece tasted them one by one. Um, I had a little um, sticky notes so I could write my thoughts. Um, I think it was for the stuffing one. I just wrote in all caps, no. After. Which is a shame because for so many people, the best part of a turkey dinner is the stuffing. Exactly. That is actually my favorite one. So I was personally offended that that was bad. But I was also really concerned that there wasn't a mashed potatoes flavor, you know, justice for mashed potatoes. Wait a minute. Yeah, they have ginger glazed carrot and they couldn't figure out mashed potato instead. Mm, feel like mashed potatoes are a bit more crucial, but... Was there any point at which you just... Closed your eyes, took a deep breath, put your hand in the bag and took a handful and shoved it in your mouth and experienced the combination of flavors of a turkey dinner candy corn bag? Absolutely not. I 
think that would be too much for the taste buds. Um, I, I couldn't do it to myself. I went the one by one route and that was enough for me. Um, even doing that made me gag and have to throw a lot of them out. So I just think doing them all together would have been too much for the senses. <laughs> well, you do have to listen to your body and that's yes. important. So for those who are interested in trying turkey dinner flavored candy corn for themselves, what is your advice? I would say um, have a trash can nearby and a glass of water maybe to, you know, cleanse the palate a bit or maybe something even like a piece of bread or something like that just to kind of wash away the flavor because if not, it'll stick with you for a while. I had never consecutively gagged that much in my life. Um, It was just a whole experience. Got my roommates involved. They also had the same, you know, reaction to it. So I know it's not just me. So one could argue that turkey dinner flavored candy corn brings people together. It does. Yeah. If there's one positive of this, you know, made me really tight with my roommates, but we have that memory to just, yeah, forever bond us. Do you eat turkey? Oh, yes, I do. To what degree, if any, do you predict that this consummation of turkey dinner flavored candy corn will affect your enjoyment of an actual turkey dinner? (sighs) That's a good question. I'm just going to, on that day, actively try to suppress the memory of that god-awful piece of turkey dinner candy corn. Well, Victoria Messina, Associate Editor of Trending and Viral Features at Pop Sugar, thank you so much for talking with me. Thank you. I really appreciate it. sleep on candy corn anymore. Okay, so what else can be done with candy corn that may or may not bring people together? What's that? Make candy corn coated buffalo wings, you say? Well, thanks to the visionary nature of Cat and Cub, Atlanta, Georgia-based YouTube creators, the dream is alive and it is... Well, I'll let Cat tell you how it is and what made her do it in the first place. I mean... Honestly, the internet made me do it. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna always, always blame it on the internet. It's always the internet that made me do it. Um, actually, a comedian who is also on YouTube by the name of Kev on stage. He's a great comedian. I love him, by the way. Um, but of course, he made a video talking about, you know, I like candy corn, but why would you do this? You know, like why, why, what in your right mind would make you want to do it? So. I was interested and I said, I'm going to try it. <laughs> I want to know if it's good, honestly. And um, it was good. <laughs> All right. Wait, don't skip to the end. Take me through the process of how to make Cub and Cat's original recipe, candy corn buffalo wings. Where do we start with this process? You make that sound so fancy. <laughs> okay. So of course you just get you some candy corn, get you hot sauce that you like. You know, people have a preference, maybe like Louisiana or Texas Pete or something like that. Whatever you choose to use, a little bit of garlic powder and a little bit of honey, just because, you know, you want some sweetness in there too. Although candy corn is candy. Um, but because candy corn is simply just candy, it's just sugar. When you reduce it down, it just turns into like a sugar, a syrup. 
because I don't like candy corn. <laughs> I don't like candy corn at all. Honestly, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm one of those people. You either love it or hate it. I hate it, y'all. It's chalky. I just don't like it. Which but, made this all the more a brave thing for you to be doing. Right. I had to taste the candy corn again to figure out, okay, like, you know, I'm older now. Maybe I grew up, you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe I like it. Maybe there's something that I missed out on, but no, I still didn't like it. <laughs> I did not like it. Okay. So you melt the candy corn on the stovetop and then you add the other ingredients you listed? Yeah, the most of the ingredients that you're going to use, of course, would be the hot sauce just because you want to create like the glaze or the sauce to sauce the wings. With the candy corn, it just turns into like a sweeter hot sauce. So it doesn't really taste like candy corn. Yeah, you said it tasted like... Orange chicken. It tastes just like orange chicken. Do you think it tastes like orange chicken because it's orange? I mean, did it maybe like... I don't know if that's a mind thing, (laughs) right? I don't know if that's a mind thing, but that was the first thing that came. Like that was that was the next best thing like I could describe it as because it didn't taste like candy corn. So if it doesn't taste like candy corn, then what you're saying to me is that the Cub and Cat's original recipe candy corn buffalo wings would be good for both lovers of candy corn and candy corn haters. Yes. So everybody in the world. Precisely. Except for those who don't eat meat. Precisely. <laughs> Precisely, yes. Honestly, yes. Or if you just like chicken wings, hey, maybe this is a a new sauce that you were missing out on that you don't know about. Well, Cat Wright from Cub and Cat on YouTube based out of Atlanta, Georgia. I loved talking with you. Thank you so much for telling me all about your candy corn buffalo wing recipe today. Of course. Thank you. Well, I don't know about you, but that sounds like something I will continue to let other people make and try because like Halloween, candy corn buffalo wings are terrifying. Audacious is produced by me and Katie Tolarski at Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford. To subscribe and listen back to shows about things like antinatalism, speech disfluencies, psychics, and what it's like to be a world-famous meme, visit ctpublic.org audacious. Send me your reactions and show ideas on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Wolf. Feel free to email me, cwolf at ctpublic.org, and online use the hashtag audaciouspublic. Thanks for listening.